Welcome to the March-April 2013 teaching, How to Know God's Will. Uh, sincere Christians, Christians who really take their faith as the most important thing in their life, ask themselves that question, how can I know God's will? And yet the answer is often much simpler than we imagine. I, I hope you'll enjoy this teaching. If you want to hear part two, uh, just uh, indicate so on the response form and we will send the second CD in this series to you. Uh, on the second CD, I share the th- three lights, if you wish, that have to be completely synchronized. When you see those three lights as one, you know that you are in the center of God's will. Uh, but the teaching that you have received already is, is very helpful. But I think that second part would also be a blessing to you. So I leave that with you. Thank you for your prayers for our upcoming campaign in Nagpur, India. Uh, Nagpur is in the center of India, a little bit more towards the north than the area that where you usually have gospel campaigns. It is also the headquarter of the most militant sect of the Hindu religion, the ones who are mostly aggressive against uh, Christians and the gospel. And um, their supreme leader uh, resides in the city of Nagpur. But we are reaching out also to him and to others who are associated with him. Thank you for your prayers for this. And after the campaign in Nagpur, then it just happens one by one. We go to uh, Congo that has suffered so greatly because of the genocide there. And then we go to um, Pakistan and then to Indonesia, then back to India. So it just happens in sequence now. And um, we are very grateful for your prayers, your participation, and that you are with us in this. And so thank you so very much. If you live in the Toronto area, if you visit Toronto, then uh, please come and see us at the Toronto International Celebration Church. I preach there several Sundays a month. Pastor Nathan Thurber's there, and from, from time to time, we have uh, well-respected guest speakers. Also, I'm glad to announce that our telecast, now renamed You Are Loved, has started broadcasting across the United States, available on both the DISH satellite network and DirecTV, covering more than 30% of the households. It's also available on several smaller um, stations. And uh, so you can uh, check out on our website all the information about that. Our television ministry is really going worldwide. I hope that by the next time we speak, I will be able to announce to you uh, several areas in the Middle East and Asia where our telecast will also be available. We really need to get to the whole wide world with a message of how much God loves every person, how much we are accepted and beloved in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your offerings. Thank you for stepping into what God has provided. If it wasn't for people reaching out, we couldn't do what we're doing. If no one reaches, if everyone just kind of feels that it's a good work and mentally agrees with it, but nobody reaches, then in the end, nobody gets touched. Thank you for reaching with your gifts and your prayers. They are very much needed and very much appreciated right now. Well, let's go into the teaching, How to Know God's Will. God bless you. I'm starting at least what's going to be a two-part teaching. That's what I'm planning for, called How to Know God's Will. And I want to tell you, our church is a spiritual church. What I mean with that, 
we have a lot of people in our church who really takes this Bible and God very serious in their life. And I'm grateful to be a pastor of a church where people take it serious. And so because of that, people do ask this question. How can I know God's will for my life? And so I want to talk a little bit about it. And you may be surprised at some of the answers I'm going to give. Let's read from John 16 verse 13. When the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is a guide. Guidance is about knowing God's will, about showing the way. You know, guidance is a very big business these days. I mean, you can every day open up the newspaper and read the horoscope that's supposed to guide you how to approach the day. I mean, nowadays you can't watch television without seeing an advertisement for ChristianMingle.com. Find God's match for you. And and I, I almost want to scream at the television. Well, what do you think people did before there was internet? But anyhow, obviously people are, are, are looking to find God's will. Uh, psychics have been around for a long time. Financial consultants trying to predict what's going to happen. And, and we know that... That's very difficult to do. And, and then, of course, in the Christian world, there are those who put themselves forth as prophets. And there are New Testament prophets, but much of what you see as being a prophet is someone trying to be an outmoded prophet, which is an Old Testament prophet. Uh, that gave certain guidance to the people, but people are looking for that. People are looking for, I need guidance. Now, thank God for New Testament prophets, and I might say something about that. Now, the word for sin, or one of the words translated as sin in the Bible is hamarshia, it's the Greek word, which means to miss the mark, or you could say to be misguided. You know, if you missed the mark, you, you didn't aim right, so you missed it. Uh, and so you, you, you were kind of out of where you, you were not shooting in the right direction. And so the essence of sin, in fact, is to be misguided, to miss the mark, which stands in contrast to what the Bible says that the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. And, and so let's start with this and look first as it's just a very basic truth that God is a guide. God guides us. Here's an interesting passage, and I will read it, and then I'll comment on it. God says to a man called Cyrus, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord. I will gird you or guide you, strengthen you, though you have not known me. So this is a promise of divine guidance. But what makes it so interesting is it's given to a person who didn't even know God. It says twice here, you don't know me. But I guided you. This was a Babylonian king. And the Holy Spirit was inspiring him, guiding him to help 
the people of God rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And you know, every one of us probably can think about before we knew the Lord Jesus Christ, we can see the fingerprints of God in our life. You can look back and say, you know, I think God protected me. I think God led me. I think God helped me before I even knew God. And, and once we understand that, we understand, well, how much more now that I have Christ in me? If God was already looking out and he was making a way where there was no way, he was, he was causing the iron gates to come down. He was making crooked places straight because he loved me before I even acknowledged Jesus. How much more now that Christ is in me, I can trust in the fact that God guides me. And, and of course, you know, God made provision here through Cyrus. And there are examples in the New Testament. There was a, a, a disciple there by the name of Agabus who, who, who God spoke to him. So he saw that there was a drought coming. And then he told the people and they were able to make adequate um, arrangement for the time of drought that was coming. And God speaks that way in visions and in dreams. Um, you may remember some of you, Demas Shakarian, who was an Armenian in his book, The Happiest People on Earth. And I, I met uh, uh, Demas Shakarian when I was only 12 years old. He lived in Los Angeles. I didn't meet him there, but uh, he was, of course, the leader of the full gospel businessmen. He was a dairy farmer farmer and a very simple plain spoken person but in his book he talks about before the Armenian genocide how God gave an advance warning to his people that there would be a terrible genocide and over a million people heeded that warning and fled Armenia and many ended up in America so so it's very important to listen to be tuned in to God's direction now, some people practice what we call fleecing, and that comes from the story in the Bible of Gideon. Now, Gideon actually knew God's will already, but he kind of wanted more, um, you know, assurance. So he, you, you remember the story, to make a long story short, he, he took wool, and he said, now in the morning when I wake up, I want the grass to be wet from the dew, and I want the wool to be dry, and then God did that for him, and the next morning he says, now I want to reverse it, I want the wool to be, to be wet, and the grass to be dry. So many people still practice that. You know, that is not something we need to practice when we have Christ living inside of us. And I find even in the Old Testament when Gideon practices, it wasn't really to find out God's will. He already knew God's will. God had already told him what to do. He was just kind of trying to manipulate the situation and trying to get out of it, actually. You know, sometimes people do that. They kind of try to manipulate. They say, Lord, you know, Lord, if, if I see so-and-so at Tim Hortons after the service this morning, I know that I'm supposed to marry her. You're actually cheating a bit because you've already noticed she goes to Tim Hortons almost every Sunday, so the chances are high. And you say, well, that's it. That proves it. It's God's will. You know, sometimes people try to manipulate like that. Turn to your neighbor and say, not you, I hope. Uh, you know, uh, we, we, we don't want to do, do that. Uh, we, we don't want to manipulate, but we want to. And we don't need to because we have Christ living in us. Uh, and you know, when the Lord leads us and guides us and reveals his will to us, he never pushes us. He draws us. He guides us. That's a, that's a proper word. We're not forced. We are not, we're not pushed into something. Now, 
When we read from the scripture verses in the Old Testament of the Bible, we always filter them through what Jesus Christ has done because they're looking forward in the Old Testament to Jesus coming, but we still learn great things uh, from those scriptures. They are the Holy Scriptures. And uh, one chapter is in the book of Jeremiah has a lot of insights about guidance. And I, I'm just going to read uh, them to you here, a few of them. It says like this in Jeremiah 2, it's God speaking to the people about the issue we're dealing with today, how to know God's will, how to be guided. And, and God says like this, I, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. See, that's guidance right there. You, you just hold it there for a moment. That's guidance. You went after me. I, I was able to lead you, God says. Even though I was taking you through a land that wasn't sown. So in other words, you know, from the way you looked at it, it didn't really look good. It didn't really look like God was leading you at all. How many have ever experienced that? It sure doesn't look like I'm in the will of God here right now. But God says, you know, you were so in love with me. There was like a it was like we were engaged. We had a betrothal. And you loved me so much that even though I didn't, I didn't make it look real good for you, you still followed me. See how God is saying that? that was, that's the way it was supposed to be. You just trusted me. And then, then, then it says a little later on, God says, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me? In other words, why did this stop? Why did this guidance stop? Why did this... Think that you were willing to just follow me, to be led? Did I do, did I do you bad? Did, did I do an injustice? Did I mistreat you? you know, like, what happened? Why, why, why aren't you trusting my guidance like you used to? And then he says, he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, uh, that can hold no water. So we learn from this passage that guidance really happens in an atmosphere of love. When we experience God's love, then we reciprocate God's love. And in that hothouse, if you wish, of God's love, you live in that and you will have guidance. But then Israel, what they had done here, they had replaced this divine guidance based on love with a self-guidance. And, and, and God says, it's like, it's like comparing a well to a cistern. You know what a well is? A well is dug into the, into the ground. But a well, it's lined with rocks, but it's connected to an underground stream. So there's always supply in a well. You don't have to fill it with water. The water comes from the underground stream. And the only thing that can clog a well is if you never draw water. It just sits there. But as long as you're drawing water, a well is always fresh and you will have, you will have water forever. That's the way God says, that's the way it was meant to be. That guidance would be like a fountain. You, you just every day, it's no, you don't have to wait for a crisis. You don't have to wait for some big decision in your life. And now I got to have guidance from God. But every day you are walking with God and you say, thank you, Lord, that my steps are ordered of you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I know you never leave me nor forsake me. So every day you're drawing from the well and that way it stays fresh. It never gets clogged. But a cistern, of course, is stale water. It, it, it is hewn rocks and you have to put water into the cistern. But in this case, it's not only stale water because now the cistern is broken. So it empties of water. So God said, that's what's happened. 
it was, the idea was that you would just walk with me. And you would know my will and rejoice in it. And it wouldn't be like a big deal. Once in a while you find out God's will. But every day, every day, my steps are ordered to the Lord. The Lord helps me. I'm receiving his guidance every day. I draw new water every day. Hallelujah. That is the idea of the Christian life. And, and of course, John chapter 7 is that well within. Jesus is out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living waters. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So every day you connect with the Holy Spirit. That's what we call walking in the Spirit every day. Say, God help me with this. Oh God help me with this situation. I just whispered to Tina right now. So she remember last Sunday I said to her, remember last Sunday we were, when we were giving the offering we were saying let's believe God to help us this week. We had some things coming up and I said, you remember that? I said, now I really feel the Lord helped us this week. Amen. And I, and now whatever comes next week, I'm trusting God to help us again. Can I hear an amen to that? Uh, all right. And so a few more verses from Jeremiah 2 here. here. Here's a powerful truth about guidance and about knowing God's will. Later on, God says, your own wickedness will correct you and your backsliding will rebuke you. He's speaking to the people of Israel here. In other words, and this ties in with the New Testament. Paul says the same things to the Galatians. You know, if you choose to go your own way, if you just tro- choose Hamashiach to be misguided, you know what? Your misguidance, your sin will correct you. How many have found that out? Please don't shout loud, but just kind of nod a little bit. How many found, hey, I just went my own way and it's really stupid. It's messing me up. So, so, so sometimes we think, well, God is, he's, no, God doesn't correct you in that sense in, a, in, in causing something negative to happen. But when we do stupid things, our own stupidity corrects us. And don't think I'm talking to you. I'm talking to all of us. That means I'm talking to myself. How many have lived long enough to know that your own mistakes and sins have their own correction? That's about all I expected to that. But uh, then a few verses later on. Look at this. Here's an interesting verse on guidance. A wild donkey used to the wilderness, using to live, used to live in the wilderness, not living in the promised land, a wild donkey in the wilderness, sniffs at the wind in her desire. In her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. So God is saying, some people, when it comes to guidance, they're like a wild donkey sniffing in the wind. In other words, her desire is made up. I want that male donkey to come right now. And he, and he says, it's not hard for the male donkey to find her because they'll find her in her month because she is set on her way. You know what God is saying? That could read the whole context. He's saying, if you insist, if you put your nose up and you say, this is what I want, God bless it or else. Well, you'll get it. You insist on your own way, you will get it. If you keep saying long enough, well, I just believe this is God's will and I'm going to have this happen. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to start this ministry. I'm going to launch this business. I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to do this. Bless me when I do it. Well, you can do it. I'm going to marry this person come hell or high water. Well, we'll book the wedding. (laughs) What God is saying here, hey, if you want to be that wild donkey 
that just sniffs in the wind and it's just determined, you're hell-bent, so to speak, that this is the way it's going to be. Then, then that's what's going to happen. And you can stand and say, well, look at that happen. Just like I said, it was going to happen. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it was a good thing. And, and, and sometimes, you know, when that happens, people go for counseling. And they keep going from one counselor till they, to another till they find one that agrees with them. So, honey, I need, I need to see a pastor. Why? You've already been to 10 pastors. But I want to see if you agree with me. No, we're going to learn here that the key to be guided of God is to have a soft heart. To have a heart that's open. That is not that wild donkey sniffing in the wind. Amen. And later on again, I'm still in Jeremiah. That then God appeals to the people. He says like this early in the next chapter. Will you not now cry to me? My father, you are the guide of my youth. In other words, won't you say, God, you know, you were so good when we were just letting ourselves be guided. Even though it looked like we were in the wilderness, there was no harvest around. But God, really, it turned out good. And and we want to go back to that. You see, God is a good God. Even if we miss it, we walk away, we do our own things. God loves us so incredibly much. He draws us. He says, come on, I want to guide you. I want to help you. I have a better life for you. Won't you let it happen? You know, it's like... I don't know if you ever did this as a kid. If you had good parents, if you went to your parents and said, and they didn't have a clue what you'd done wrong, but they usually went and told them, I really messed up. They didn't ground you for a year. They didn't say, oh, now that you initiated to confess this to me, I'm really going to give it to you. In fact, it caused your parents to say, well, you know what? I really respect that you brought that to my attention because I would have never known this. So that makes me trust you more. How many know that our Heavenly Father is so much greater and you know you never have to feel ashamed of coming to God you never have to be ashamed of saying I blew it because God loves you so incredibly much remember that song put your hand in the hand of the man who still the waters put your hand that's guidance that's knowing his will put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea then it says take a look at yourself and you can look at others differently by putting your hand in the hand of the man who come to see. In other words, everything looks different when you say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm walking with you. I look at myself differently. It's not if I blew it. I don't have to go around and feel ashamed about that for the rest of my life. My hand is in God's hand. And I also treat others differently. I look at them differently because they are being guided by God. And they may miss it sometimes, but our God is greater than all of our failures. Oh, praise the Lord. Amen. And and so let's for a moment look at what I call a life guided by God. A life in God's will. What does it look like? Well, to me, you know, a life of guidance is, is like getting on the airplane. You know, when you are flying, the biggest question for you, is where is this plane going? But other than that, once that question has been answered, you don't have to worry about everything. So, for example, if you get on a plane uh, to Montreal and, 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 and halfway up there, it's turbulence. The wings are shaking. They look like they're falling off. What do you do? You jump out of your seat. 
and run up to the cockpit and you just said, oh, I, I got to see, is this plane really going to Montreal? I, I just think we need to pray about this. Are you sure? Can I check your fuel gauge? Uh, I don't know. I saw the wings shaking. No, in fact, that's the time when they say, fasten your seatbelt. Stay put. They don't want you to run around when there's turbulence. They don't want everybody lining up at the cockpit and say, I need to talk to the pilot. I need, I need an appointment right now. I, I want to make sure. Is this really the plane? Uh, what's the altitude anyhow? You're at 10,000 feet or 30,000 feet. I think you should go to 32,000. I, I want to share. I, let's pray about that. No, they said, please, this is the time to get your seat belts fastened. Get out of the washroom. Get back to your seat. They even got little blinking red lights in the washroom. You know, many Christians, especially charismatic Christians, you know, the moment the little turbulence hit, that's what, oh, we need to pray. We need to, we need to fast. We need to know. We need to talk to the pilot. I need counseling. No, that's the time to really get your seatbelt on and relax, rest, quit kicking, quit running around, sit down, relax. Because as long as you've answered the main question, am I on the right plane? It's not your concern. Well, which, which landing strip are they going to take? Are we on the right tarmac? Are we on tarmac 7 or 11? I'm not sure. We need to pray about that. I think we should, we should pray with the pilot right now that, that we, we hit the right landing spot here. I want to make sure that we're on the right. You know, they're going to say, you are creating a nuisance on this plane. It's not for you to worry about. All you need to know is I am going to Montreal. So that's where I'm going. And you see, that's the way the Christian life is. Once you are hooked up with Jesus Christ, you say, I'm hooked up with Jesus. And so, yes, there's going to be some turbulence. That's not the time to question everything. That's not the time to get off. No, that's the time to relax even more and saying, I, I'm with the Lord. He's, he knew that the turbulence was coming. He knew this trouble was coming. So now is not the time to say, oh, well, let's, let's land the plane because I, I don't know. Let's just, let's just go down to the nearest airport now. And I, I want to make sure again, I need to pray some more before I go all the way to Montreal. No, you hold on. And see, many, many Christians, they, they don't understand that when turbulence hits, so when there's a, a, this is the time to rest in the Lord, not to look for new guidance. You see, many times when people get very anxious for guidance, it's like something happened financially. They went through a relationship crisis or something else. And then suddenly, oh, I need to seek the Lord. I need to now find out God's will. Do you know that you're in God's will this morning? Can I hear an amen to that? Let, let me give you some scripture for this here. And, and some examples from the book of Ruth. Ruth was a woman who was guided of the Lord. She found the right husband, in fact. Amen. Oh, that caused it. I felt, I felt that. I mean, she was guided of the Lord. Now, I love it. I put this from the old King James because I love how it says it. Let's read from it here. Ruth said to Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She said, I want to go out there and just do some work, collect some grain. And Naomi said, go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And here's this is what I part I like about the King James. And her hap, her hap, 
was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. You know, we don't, we don't use that expression, her hap. But uh, that's how the King James, her hap. She just, you could say it this way, she just happened to get on the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And I want to ask you, how's your hap? <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, how's your hap? She, she just happened. She, it, it just, it, it, she didn't have a vision. She didn't have a dream. Oh, where should I go? Which part of the field should I go to? I just want to find out, you know, I, I don't know what belongs to who here. Uh, she didn't have any special visitation, no special dream, no special vision. Her hap was to light on the field. I don't know what that means. She felt some kind of a beam of light on that field, but she just happened. She just happened to get to the right part of the field. You could say she just happened to get a husband. And when she also just happened to step into her destiny, it wasn't because of any extra. She just happened to get her destiny. She got in the lineage of King David. And she got in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it all just was in her hat. So that's how the God's will comes to you. It just happens along the way. You're just out there helping out. You're working. She's just helping bring some food home so they can make some bread. Her and Naomi can make some bread and eat. And she's just, and it just happens that God's will unfolds in her daily routine. Oh, praise God. Now, is that the only example of that? No. Remember one other man. I don't know. It seems a lot of these stories is about finding, finding a mate, you know. But Eliezer, he was sent out by Abraham not to find a wife for himself, to find a wife for somebody else. I may know some people have a tough enough time to find a spouse for yourself. He has to find a spouse for somebody else. Maybe that's easier. I don't know. So he's sent out with this task. You're to find God's will. You're to find the right woman and bring her back here to marry Isaac. And so, so he, he was praying, and I'm not going to go into all that. And he said, oh, God, now just guide me, help me here. And, and you know, Lord, help me. To, I want to find a generous kind of a woman. And so when I ask for, for water for myself, uh, Lord, uh, let her volunteer to water my camels. I mean, you know, camels drink more than humans. Uh, so, so, so that meant she was a very industrious woman. And so he comes upon Rebecca. But here's how the Bible describes it. Genesis 24, 28. It says, as for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house. Let's read that together. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house. Again, how did it happen? He was just on the way. He would, he would just get his camels ready for the day's journey. And as I was just doing the things I do every way, every day, he was just on the way, just doing his daily routine. And the Lord led him to the house. Two people in, in, in recorded in the gospels that really found God's will are Simeon and Anna. You know, they discover that Jesus is the Savior, that he's been born. And what, what does it say? It says it this way. They were going up to the temple as was their custom. 
They weren't saying, oh, God, lead us today. Should we go to the temple? Should we not go? I'm not sure. We just really need to seek the will of God here. What do you feel? What do you feel? What do you feel right now? No, they were just every day worshiping God. They were enjoying the sacrifices of God. They were available at their time. And as they were going through this routine every day, one day, oh, I think we found the Savior. I think the Messiah has come. So again, it wasn't that they were saying, you know, we're setting aside several months to pray and fast now to know here, you know, because I believe this going to Messiah is going to come. So we don't, we don't want to go through our daily activities. We want to just do something extra now. If they had done that, they would never have seen God's will. God's will was in the doing of the things that they were accustomed to do every day. I'm talking about the right plane, the right field, the right temple, the right well where Rebecca is going to be picking up some pitchers of water that day. It all happens just in the regularity of life, going through life. And if that is true in these cases, how much more for us? Because you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so let me now say a couple of things and, and, and don't, don't throw rotten tomatoes at me. You know, some, very often because we are a spiritual church, when people come into maybe a little bit of a crisis, they often say, I just feel like I want to set aside some time to pray and fast and really seek the Lord for his will for my life. I'm going to tell you, I'm really against people doing that. I think that really leads people astray. Let me say that again. People setting aside, I'm going to set aside time now. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to find God's will. I'm not going to stop till I... I think that is a recipe for total disaster. He said, well, they did that in the Old Testament. They did that in the Old, but they never did it in the New Testament. I'll tell you why I think it's a recipe of disaster. Because you're suddenly trying to force the agenda. It's really, you know, you're really attacking God. You're saying, my Heavenly Father doesn't care for me very much. So by golly, I'm going to set aside some time. I'm going to seek Him till He comes up with something. So you're saying that your Heavenly Father... If you're his child, he's not capable to initiate the agenda. You have to now out of stubbornness say, I'm going to seek the Lord till he says something. It's really a little bit of a subtle attack on God. And it's really a way to give glory to myself. I am now seeking the Lord for his will. I found that whenever I tried to do that, I really messed things up. Because I kind of put pressure on myself now. Especially if I told my friends, I'm seeking God now for this. I mean, after a month, I had to come up with something. Are you with me? And if and if I didn't, you know, I kind of had to imagine God said something, and then I then I had to do it because I couldn't say, well, God told me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. So now I had to do it. You see, the way the Lord leads us is not by us cornering God. This is a real outmoded way of looking at it. Because Christ is in us. You know, when you have something to say to your children, don't you have the ability to say it? I mean, do your kids come to you every morning and say, Oh, mother, mother, thou art holy, I worship thee. Shall I have cornflakes this morning? (laughs) Mother, do, uh, do you deem it suitable that I should have breakfast? I'm seeking your will about that. 
No, instead, probably uh, your mother would have said to you, you know, you need to get something, you need something before you go. So your mother would initiate it. You, you wouldn't have to initiate it. So if you need something, your heavenly father has the ability to make an impression on you. And it's actually a form of legalism of try to, try to force God into saying something because you're setting yourself up for misguidance. Since he didn't initiate it, you have to come up with something. And you're really saying, my heavenly father doesn't care enough. I care more about my life than God does. No, my friend, <laughs> no one cares for me like Jesus. He cares more about you going in the right direction than you care about going in the direction. Oh, no one ever. I don't know why I'm doing solos. I know I can't sing. I should get milk up here again. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Oh, praise God. I wish somebody would sing that song some Sunday. Oh, no one ever cared like Jesus. So when I have to say, God, now, now, I'm going to find your will here. I'm going, to, I'm going to seek you. I'm really saying I care more for me than God does. It could be that you're right in the middle of God's will. You had a little turbulence hit, but you're in God's will, and he has nothing further to say to you. Some people then, they invite a prophet into their life to speak God's will. You know, that's a form of idolatry, really. Lots of them available here in Toronto. If you go to them and say, honey, it's on God's will. You know the church I go to, they don't, they, don't they don't really focus on this, but I know you, you know, you're lifting this person up and you're putting pressure on that person. So now he ha or she has to come up with something. After all, they can't disappoint you. So they have to come up with something. And they'll make you work for it. I don't know why it's getting so quiet here. Maybe I'm not doing any good, but now they have to work for it here and, 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 and the pressure is there. And you really set yourself up for manipulation. And what I've discovered, you know, I've been doing this for not 100 years, not 50, but more than 30. And I found that people who go down this road end up being disappointed. It looks so promising, but then that didn't work either. You see, your heavenly Father has given you the spirit of truth to guide you. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm talking about a life guided by God. Let, let me give you a few examples right here. A few more scripture verses. Can you handle a few more scripture verses? It, it, love is very important. A life motivated by love. Here's again in, in Isaiah 58. You, you look at this. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. So even if you feel it's all dark, I don't know what to do. But, but when you just let the love flow, the love that God's given to you, you let it flow through you to others, so you kind of just live that life of serving others, then suddenly what seems so dark will be light to you. Hallelujah. That's why I love, I love you can even say, you join the ushers. You, 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 you join some group, you go on a mission, you join the evangelism team, you become one of the grace encounter groups, you just, you say, I just want to reach people. 
doesn't take any big leading of the Lord or any angel showing up at your door saying, Oh, I'm here and my name is Gabriel. Thou art called to lead a grace encounter group. No, you're just saying, I, I just want to love people. And suddenly in that walking in love and letting love flow through you, touching people who are hurting, being a part, helping out wherever you can. Suddenly when there's darkness around you and you say, I don't know that, you know, I got this thing going on. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But by just walking walking in love and letting love flow suddenly. Wow, I see it. Oh, come on, give the Lord big praise for that. And then it says, Sam, still in the same, it says, the Lord, here it is, will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bone. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. This is a person who lives a life guided by the Lord. You are strengthened. You have nourishment. You have life. And the Lord guides you continually. It's not a once in a lifetime guidance, but day by day. This is really depicting the new covenant life. Look at this here. Here's something else. To have a, a heart that's soft towards God. You know, I says sometimes people have a, have a hard heart. And a soft head. That's not good for, you know, a soft head is, as soon as your mind hears something, oh, somebody says something bad about me. You're so soft in the head that everything, pen, oh, I'm so offended. Oh, 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 my goodness, somebody didn't smile at me. Oh, my mind is under attack. We don't need to have soft heads. We need to have a little hard heads. You know, you don't get so offended by these little things. But we have a soft heart. Amen. Did you get that? Look at what it says here. It says in Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now that's that's knowing God's will. I will guide you with my eye. But don't be like the horse or the mule. Which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridles, else they will not come near to you. Don't be that kind of person that has to go through so many sorrows uh, until those sorrows become the bit and bridle and you finally smarten up and say, I guess I wasn't so good at it. No, have a soft heart. Don't be stubborn like a mule. Huh? You know, I tell this, because in Bible school, you know, I been leading Bible school now for what is it 30 years soon or 25 years and and Bible school is just like church and life you know people come to Bible school first week well I'm here to study for two years and then I'm going to go here I want to do this I feel like I say well you know obviously God has nothing further to talk to you about your whole thing is just lined up I'm going to do this I'm taking a year here and I'm doing this and I'm going there I'm gonna... I say well you know we don't really need to have any prayer meetings with you because you have it all figured out you know, it's, well, I'm called to this. I'm, this is what I'm called to do. I'm called to youth. I said, are you going to say that when you're 89 years old still? Or is this, is this just a temporary thing? Or They're just so sure. You know, it's better to not be so absolutely determined. It's better to have kind of a soft heart. And say, you know, God, you, you, you guide me. Best I can see now, this is the way I'm going to go. And I know I'm in the will of God today, but I'm open, Lord. Speak to me. <laughs> you know, he doesn't show. It's like when you drive your car. If you're driving from here to New York City, you know, you don't see the light 
from the headlights of your car all the way to New York. You couldn't handle that. You just see about maybe 100 meters up ahead. And then every, every step of the way, you see 100 meters. But that's all you need to see. You don't need to see everything that you're going to meet the whole trip. Is that right? And that's the way it is walking in God's will. You see, don't, I said, calm down. Don't be so sure. I find people who are so sure, they end up in a really messed up situation. It's like God can't even talk to them. Well, I'm not called to that. I'm, I'm, you know, many people started out just, uh, they were ushering. They're just loving people, just standing with a big smile, saying God loves you. And they ended up being a business person who had to handle a large staff or an evangelist preaching to thousands of people, or they ended up running another organization. But, but you know, they, they, they weren't looking for it. They were just saying, well, how can I help? And they just let the love flow. And then... You never know. Hallelujah. How's your hat? You just happened to get into your destiny. You, you were just doing God's will. You know, I have a favorite story of a friend of mine. He's an elderly man now in Sweden. And, and I met him early on. And then I had reason to work with him. He was almost 30 years old. And he had not yet found his wife. And he was, this wasn't a day. Nowadays, people get married a lot later. But you know, when everybody else gets married at 20 and you're 30, how many know, then that's crisis. But of course, when everybody gets married at 30, like today or then when you hit 40, you may be thinking, never mind. I'm not going to say. Anyhow, he was wanting a wife. And the Bible said, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Now, notice what it said there. It doesn't say he that stays at home and prays that a wife will find him finds a good thing, but he that finds. So, so there's some, anyhow, I'll save that for another teaching. Uh, and, and so he was, he was, you know, he was saying, God, I want a wife. And then an opportunity came because there was a certain radio ministry at that time, this is years ago, that had begun getting permission, I think it was in Algeria or Tunisia, in the African desert, to build this large tower. He was a radio engineer. And so they wanted him to go and, and look after this and spend years in the African desert. How many know that all the ladies were wearing their burqas and they couldn't even look at a man from Sweden? You know, they were all Muslims. And he's thinking, well, here's all my chances are gone for ever finding a woman because now here I am and now I, I'm supposed to go out in the African desert and, and I can't even talk to those people because in that culture, a woman shouldn't even talk to a man. And so there is no hope for me. But how many know you just happen, you just happen to step into your destiny? Come on. I mean, you just happen to do it. And so he goes there. He says, well, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll put your will first in my life. God, whatever you want from me, I'm going there. And if, if I'm the only available radio engineer that can build this great tower out in the desert, I'm going there. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so here he is, spends, you know, a couple of years in the desert. Only camels. And then for some reason he had to go all the way. I think it was from Tunisia on that part of it. He had to go all the way across the Sahara Desert. All the way over to Egypt. To get some special part and pick it up for the radio. So he's driving through the Sahara. How many know that's not good prospecting for a wife in the Sahara Desert? It's, it's again, it's not a great place. But somehow there was a Swedish Christian nurse who worked in, in, over in Egypt. And she had some errand into the desert. She was going to help some other Christian hospital. And she's traveling this way. 
He is traveling this way. She is in the will of God. He is in the will of God. How many know their hap was happening? And then, then she gets, because you know, just because two cars pass doesn't mean you're going to meet, you don't meet everybody you pass on the road, do you? She gets a flat tire. Thank God. Everybody say, thank God for turbulence. Now she's saying, how can God be with me? I have a flat tire. Here I am, a lonely Swedish woman. She had some other person with her there, but still they were looking like a pretty hopeless bunch in the Sahara Desert with a flat tire. And it just so happened. That by my friend Eskil, that's his name. He was coming, going this way at Travel for Days. She was going this way. And he was just coming up and he sees a couple of lonely looking women trying to fix a flat tire. And of course, being a good Christian. I mean, there was no, there was no dream. There was no vision. They were just letting love flow. Just helping people. Just being open to God. He stops to help these people who didn't know, look like they knew how to change a tire. And, and he stops. Just happened. Just happened. And the rest is history. I don't need to tell. How many know what happened? I don't need to, I don't need to fill in the detail. You, you see, it's amazing. It's amazing. But of course, they could have all planned and schemed us as well. You know, I can't go, I can't go into missions here because, you know, I gotta find this first and I gotta fix this first. And, you know, all taken, all charged themselves. I gotta stay here and I got a wife. And when I get a wife, I'm gonna go to Africa. And she goes, well, I'll find my husband and I'm gonna become a Christian nurse over there in Egypt. And I gotta fix. You see, if, if you wait for everything to be perfect, you will never step out and do anything. And you'll miss God's best for you. Now, God would have still blessed them. They could have stayed in their, in their places and their towns and they lived in the same country. But chances are they would never have met and God could have blessed them. Because, you know, some people say there's only one person that you can marry. Well, that can't be true. Because then if one person missed it, then everybody else is messed up. If A is supposed to marry B, but B marries C, then all the letters of the alphabet is forever mixed up. So no one in the world, even the one who is really, well, well, yours will be taken already because the one for you, she missed it with some other. So anyhow, I can only cover so much in one Sunday. Are you with me? So anyhow, so there's, praise God. But there's a whole other teaching, what you should be thinking about there. Anyhow, hallelujah. I don't know how I get myself into so much trouble, but, but, uh, Think about it. Think about it. And so it's as you just go about God's way. What I was saying is that they could probably find someone else in their town that could have married. But these folks were blessed by God together. And it, it just happened while the love was flowing. While they were just serving humanity because of God's love in their heart. Oh, praise God. Hey, let me give you, here's another little verse. Willingness to do, to obey. It says like this, Jesus said, If anyone wills to do his will, the Father's will, he shall know whether this teaching he's referring to, this direction he's given, is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. See, when we have, a, when we have an attitude about us, I, I'm, I'm just willing to help out, to do whatever. 
listen, to receive instruction. When we have that attitude about us, we kind of learn. We learn when, when somebody just comes up and makes a statement. So you don't fall for it so easily. You're kind of able to separate the wheat from the chaff. You're able to separate misguidance from guidance because you've learned over time. You've learned your own backsliding has rebuked you and and your own mistakes have corrected you. And so you have learned to take a much more humble attitude, not being so sure, this is what I'm going to do. Let me tell you everything I'm going to do. But you kind of want to walk softly with the Lord. And then you become more skilled knowing whether somebody says something just of their own authority and I feel you should do this and I feel this for your life and you're not so impressed with that. Someone says, that's saith the Lord. You should do this. You should go to this church. You should go here. You should join this. You're not so impressed because they just say, thus saith the Lord. You know, anybody can mouth those words because you have, you've already obeyed the little things God gave to you to do and so you kind of develop that sensitivity and you know the way. Walk in it. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says there's a highway of God and even the simplest of us can find its way on it. It says that in Isaiah, the prophecy of the New Testament, that even, even if there are simpletons, and I know there's no such people in our church, but except I like to be a simple person, so I guess I'll join the rank in being simple. I want to be simple. I don't want to be complicated. I don't want to be a difficult person for the Lord to speak to. He says, even the simplest person will be able to find the direction. So it's not so hard. It's not so difficult uh, because you have Christ living inside of you. Hallelujah. Amen. Give the Lord Jesus a big praise right now. But, but I want to say to you, Whatever, you know, sometimes our ethnicity makes us stubborn in certain areas. One, one, people coming from one part of the world, they're very stubborn in one thing. People come from another part of the world, they're stubborn in something else. And, well, God can speak as much as he wants, but I'm going to do this. Because that's what my family has always done. You know, soft-hearted. Soft-hearted. Maybe your future will be very different than you thought. And you say, well, I'm already in my 60s or 70s. Well, you're still breathing, aren't you? (laughs) You say, I'm in my 80s. You're still breathing. You're here this morning. And the steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, I think I'm done for today, and I got more coming for you next week. All right, did you get anything out of that? Let's give the Lord praise. Peter Youngren and World Impact Ministries operates Grace Prayer Center Line at 1-877-974-7223, where you can call for prayer ministry from our prayer center or for more information about World Impact Ministries. You can also visit us at www.peteryoungren.org. In the U.S., Post Office Box 462770, Escondido, California, 92046, or in Canada, 190 Railside Road, Toronto, Ontario, M3A1A3.